So what do I do? There's money behind this operation. You won't be paid as a regular cop, but there's a bonus involved. Tax-free. We can't conceal that you were a trainee. You'll be convicted of a crime. We're thinking a guilty plea to assault and battery would make sense. Given your nature? You'd do enough jail time to convince anyone this is no setup. You'd be on probation, see a court-ordered shrink, the whole nine yards. You want to serve the Commonwealth, this is your chance. We need you, pal. You've already pretended to be a Costigan from South Boston. Every weekend, Sergeant. Perfect. Do it again. For me. Hello, welcome to the Extra Credits Plus of Microprocessors. <laughs> I'm Trey. And I'm Kelsey. At the start of podcast, and my hand does not shake ever. Ever. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> the older I get, the more my work attitude just becomes Mark Wahlberg's dignum in this movie. Like when he's questioned at his job by a coworker asking who he is, and Wahlberg is like, I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. You must be the other guy. Yeah. Honestly, really relatable. <laughs> if you're a Scorsese head, you know what we're talking about right now, and you know why I'm joking about microprocesses. If you don't, and you don't know what we're talking about, I'm doing a fake accent, making fun of all of the actors in this movie because it is January. It's Oscars month, and on our Patreon, our patrons voted for Martin Scorsese's only best picture, only best director winner, Wild. Uh, the Departed. Yeah. Which is a very entertaining blockbuster. It is also an ins- insane batshit film, and I cannot believe that this is the only winner for those categories from his filmography. Um, it's not one of my favorite Scorsese's of all time, though it is a really good movie that has moments of greatness, I think, and I come back to it for like the intoxicating vibes, the performances. Uh, I also come back to it for being sometimes insightful to the larger Scorsese project. I mm-hmm. think we can talk about that today especially for like obsessive movie fans like us who like to try to find through lines. There's a lot in this film that acts like an encyclopedia of Scorsese's themes. Um, so when I saw the patrons vote on this movie, I was a little bit surprised because we have done a lot in the Scorsese filmography. We've done Goodfellas deep dive. We've done a, uh, Wolf of Wall Street deep dive, Killers of the Flower Moon. We did a whole Scorsese draft with the Letterbox show. Yes. Mia and Mitchell came on for that. We didn't draft The Departed in that, did we? They did. Okay. They yeah. got it. And they were very happy to. And I was happy to let them have it. We had a whole like Wahlberg debate on there yeah. about his career. And I'm sure we'll go back to that today. So I'm excited to talk about this movie because it's like right outside my top 10 Scorsese films. Maybe we can put some tier lists together for Scorsese's mm-hmm. project today to try to figure out where this lands in his filmography toward the end of the episode. But ultimately, this is like just such an unhinged, like corrupt, sweaty movie. (laughs) Even though it's very rewatchable and highly entertaining, it's still one that I I have to be in the right mood to come back to it because it's such a disorienting movie. What about for you? Because again, we have not really talked about this off mic too much. Yeah, it's definitely not one of my favorite Martin Scorsese movies, even though I appreciate it and respect it. I Mm -hmm. think similar to you, I like to see how it fits into Martin Scorsese's larger project and how he is looking at these rise and fall cautionary tales. Mm -hmm. I think Goodfellas and Wolf of Wall Street and Casino are more so up there for me. We talked about this also on our other Martin Scorsese pods, but because I'm not personally religious, I am not 
as into his personal projects like silence, even though I think they are fascinating and we can have conversations about that part of his filmography as well. Yeah. A lot of Catholic guilt as an undertone in the departed, even if it's not explicit. Yeah. But I think that the departed is like a special case in that it's almost like his most commercial Goodfellas. Yeah. Do you think we could say that? I think so. I think that's right. He's actually not made many movies that have made, you know, over $100 million. And this is one of his like top five or top, top six highest box office returns. It might be second to The Wolf of Wall Street. So mm-hmm. I think that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like his most action oriented movie. Mm-hmm. And. I have a lot of fun with it no matter what, when I watch it. So yeah, I think there are definitely like holes in terms of like (laughs) the way that it might be shot or edited, even though I understand that there is a philosophy behind the messy editing and we obviously love Thelma Schoonmaker and Marty's partnership throughout their filmography. But there are definitely a lot of like, you know, different weird things, even in terms of the plot or the like yeah. performances with Jack Nicholson. And I think I've just at this point in my life, like fully embraced the movie. I'm yeah. not looking to like question it. I'm just looking to watch it and have a good time. So, yeah, I agree. This is a bizarre carnival fun house of a movie. It has obviously, like I said, it's been recognized by the Academy, which is wild as best picture. I don't know if we've ever had this level of a B entertaining TNT movie that is made by an auteur, obviously, but still like it is a TNT cable television yeah. like Hall of Fame movie. Yes. Win best picture in the history of the Oscars. I think you could maybe argue that The Departed is like in that Hurt Locker, Argo, million dollar baby tier, or you could argue maybe it's a more prestige because I know a lot of people think Departed is like top five or maybe every some people's number one. And so you could argue it is more prestige like a No Country for Old Men or a Silence of the Lambs or Deer Hunter for other best picture winners. But I'm not sure it's in that tier. And I was trying to go through the best picture winners and see where does the Departed fit? Because it's like it's not like Parasite level masterpiece thriller. So the closest thing I could find to a disorienting, entertaining blockbuster with some interesting ideas that pop up out of nowhere at times and that has like this electric propelling uh, vibe throughout it is actually last year's Best Picture winner, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm. I think it's the closest comp, especially in the editing and just that that vibe that's running through it the entire time. The atmosphere is so kind of intoxicating and it's like nonstop. Yeah. I mean, I still think there's a difference with Everything Everywhere, obviously being a more family drama underneath this multiverse thread that we've been so fascinated in as a culture, especially with Marvel and everything happening. Yes. And I think that the departed though, I I do like that comp. It is very interesting in terms of the, the pace and the, the kind of uh, attention that really takes you throughout the film with the departed and everything everywhere. But the departed is kind of like this, you know, crime thriller. Obviously it's a remake, but it does have the elements of like the TNT movie bones. And that's what makes it so interesting. And I guess you could argue, which we'll talk a lot about today. This, this larger theme is there in terms of the duality of man, right? With Leo and Matt Damon's characters, but ultimately like it's, it is there for the shock at the end. And it is shocking at the end every single time because of our relationship to Leo. So I think that this movie is like a, fascinating cultural artifact and that we all have such big relationships to these, you know, movie stars at the time, like this Quite was the ensemble. 
Yeah, like yeah. the 2000s was really a huge time for like tabloids and for really looking at Celebrity like Matt culture. Damon as Jason Bourne. Yes. And you know what I mean? So like it's it's really interesting to look back <laughs> at this specific project and our relationship to like Leo and seeing his fate at the end. Yeah, I mean people come back to this movie to have a good time, but you're right, we do have that kind of connection to these this ensemble cast. It is a wild like set of performers. I mean, this movie is so stacked that even Mark Wahlberg was nominated for supporting actor. Yeah. Wow. Which is crazy to me looking <laughs> back at it. And, you know, going off what you're saying, I mean, my biggest comp for, or the biggest reason for my comp with everything ever, everywhere all at once is the kind of like insane technical choices. And obviously everything everywhere is that family drama. It is a lot more vulnerable as a movie. Um, and The Departed isn't as vulnerable as like a family drama like that, though I think Vera Farmiga's Madeline character would argue that there is a level <laughs> we'll of vulnerability. Talk, we'll talk about that character later. For sure. Uh, <laughs> but I do think this movie has big ideas at its core. You touched on them with the duality of man or let's put it like the duality of, of criminals and the cop and criminal like facing off and who creates who. And I think that's a really interesting question. This movie that's sort of like half developed or, or quarter way developed and we can get into that. But I think what's most interesting about the film and what Scorsese's always been great at in his crime dramas is figuring out what, what the core of crime is in major cities. And so he's done a great job, I think, in five or six of his mo movies and even in The Departed of exploring assimilation. And specifically in The Departed, we have Irish-American assimilation and the kind of identity crisis that is happening as a result of assimilation and the pressure to conform. And we're going to get into all of that because I do think that is really well done and there are some pockets or some gaps that are underdeveloped and we'll talk about those things too. And I'd like to talk about whether or not even though we love Thelma Schoonmaker, the editing actually works because it's quite yeah. the disorienting movie. Yeah. And I'm going to use the word vibe a lot and like drug induced experience a lot because they're trying to put you in the mind of Costigan, Billy Costigan, who's Leo's character. And he is uh, going through an identity crisis and he's hopped up on drugs more and more throughout the film. He starts off the movie with cranberry juice. He ends it by like drinking out of a bottle of wine yeah. straight. So like That's we're true. supposed to be entering into his like his version of falling into hell sort of right yeah and anxiety induced experience like living in fear and yes. i think that's something that we'll also talk about in terms of scorsese's use of institutions within people's lives and like looking at opportunities which he does really specifically here in leo and matt damon's character that he also does in other movies like goodfellas yes with yeah. henry hill yes he definitely does it with goodfellas and henry hill he does it in mean streets wolf of wall street casino We'll talk about that. So I'm excited to discuss how something this messy and shocking is also so rewatchable and critically and commercially acclaimed. I think that's a fascinating, mm -hmm. like, like huge package. This movie is the real deal. Uh, and then at the end of the podcast, like I already mentioned, but I want to make sure listeners know to stay for this because it is going to be an interesting conversation. I'd like to create a Scorsese tier list. I don't want to rank his like near 30 film filmography because okay. that's its own podcast, but and maybe making a tier list is its own episode too, but I'd like to take 10 minutes at the end of today's episode or toward the end to try to see like, like create an exercise to try and see where does the departed fit? Is it a light masterpiece? Is it a divisive blockbuster? Is it in the category of, we understand why Scorsese heads love this, but I'm not super into it. And I'd like to just pick your brain about that, especially after discussing it in detail. Yeah. Okay. I'm done. All right. So as always, our extra credits plus episodes are deep dives. 
but they are also live commentary. So we will be discussing the depotted while watching it. And if you're on the main feed, you can be listening to the first 30 minutes of this episode. And then if you go into the description, you want to continue listening, you can go to Living Plus, which is our Extra Credits Plus Patreon, where you will get access to today's probably full three-hour, almost three-hour podcast, um, as well as all the other episodes we have in our catalog there. And you'll also get access to three episodes that we cover each new month. Like next month, or I guess at the end of this month, we're going to be covering The Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. Going into February, uh, our listeners are voting on a romantic movie, a romantic drama. It seems like they're pretty serious films that the listeners seem to want to vote for. So we'll probably drop that closer to Valentine's Day. And then we're covering Denis Villeneuve to end February. Oh, so excited. Getting closer to Dune Can't part wait to two. talk about Dune. Yeah. And I, I can't wait to Spice Heads do... now. Yeah. <laughs> we, just re- we just watched the new reissue on IMAX uh, for one night only about a couple of days ago of the first Dune film. So we could go see parts of Dune part two at the end of it too. And we really just went to go see Dune Part 2, just a yeah. clip of it. And we were just blown away about how taken we were by yeah. the first Dune film when Completely we had when we came out so lukewarm first time. a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. So I'm so excited for that. Uh, so for any listeners who want to listen and watch along today with The Departed, you can just rent this movie for three or four bucks. You can buy it on Blu-ray for 10 bucks, uh, which is actually a good price. Trust me, as someone who owns hundreds of Blu-rays, $10 for this movie is a good deal. Uh, you ready? I am. Okay, Kels. You know what Freud said about The Departed? It's what? the only movie impervious to psychoanalysis. Oh, yeah. You see, there are some <laughs> movies, some movies you get, and some movies you can't. Now, this ain't movie you can't get, but it's almost a movie you can't get. So I'm going to make a ruling on this right now. You don't try to get The Departed. You try to feel The Departed. And if you think for a second you get microprocessors or you get the Irish, well, la fucking da You don't. And I say that as a joke because today we are going to overanalyze this movie. That's pretty good. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) We're going to overanalyze this movie's ideas as soon as it starts. And that's what people (laughs) come here for. And I know people understand when we say, oh, we're going to have a fun time on The Departed today. They know they come to listen to us. Kind of like just look at the themes of movies and see what makes a film politically successful, socially successful, or messy. And there's a lot of that in this movie. So. At the top of today's conversation, I think we're going to get into what's messy, just so we can get into the entertaining bits for the rest of the episode. All right, let's do this. All right, on play, we'll start the movie. Three, two, one, play. Okay, The Departed. I think we should start with the fact that this is a remake. Yeah. Which is pretty wild. It's a remake of a Hong Kong classic, Infernal Affairs. And I say that's wild because people talk about this movie as a unique original crime thriller that feels like a comedy from Scorsese. Yeah. But I watched Infernal Affairs the other night and they are very similar, though a lot of critics talk about them as if they are not, which is surprising to me. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you that because I didn't get a chance to watch it before this podcast, although I want to like, did you like it? And were there similar plot lines? It was like shot similarly because I think I remember Martin Scorsese saying that he didn't watch the movie before making this so, because he didn't want to like copy it. I heard that. And I also heard that from screenwriter William Monaghan. I don't believe either of those takes, though I do think what they meant, which is probably more accurate, they meant before shooting. They didn't watch the movie because they, okay. they didn't want it to interfere with their work. I mean, it's from 2002. It was only four years before The Departed was made. So something tells me they definitely watched it. Actually, sorry, not something tells me. After watching Infernal Affairs, I can say confidently (laughs) that they have definitely seen the movie because just through atmosphere, technical atmosphere, like the cinematic experience of The Departed and Infernal Affairs, they're so similar in the way they're 
uh, crosscut and the way they're clipped and the way that they're edited in terms of the uh, whip pans and the insert shots. Okay, so even the technical senses? Oh, yeah. And the character introductions and the kind of parallel of cop versus criminal. The screenplays are very similar. It, It has that cat and mouse thriller vibe, but it never has that... Like Infernal Affairs doesn't have the comedic beats. It treats itself a lot more seriously. Hmm. Andrew Lyle's film um, is the first of a trilogy. So the Infernal Affairs trilogy, you can actually get on the Criterion right now, which I'm planning on because I've only seen the first film. But The Departed is really just a remake of the first project. The biggest difference is in Infernal Affairs, the Costigan character gets stuck in this kind of like um, this hell at the end of the movie instead of the way that Costigan's treated in The Departed which is killed at the end of the movie. And so there's more of a Buddhist undertone about being stuck in this like hellish purgatory mm. um, versus this film, which is a lot more about Catholic guilt in like actually being destroyed by the end of the movie, which is Costigan, which is Billy. Um, that's the Leo character. So I think Scorsese and his collaborators um, probably needed to Uh, have probably highlighted how much they took from Infernal Affairs after watching that because it is a very, very good movie, though, like, again, tonally kind of different. Um, But I do think him and his collaborators deserve credit for how they do make this remake their own in its themes and in its cultural context because they do feel like they exist in two different universes emotionally because this Departed film has that moralist uh, superiority that I feel like Infernal Affairs has, but and it also has that kind of like religious guilt undertone. But what's different about The Departed is that it is more of a project about the loss of one's heritage and assimilating in like an American ecosystem that is the microcosm of Boston and what that can do to somebody losing their identity, uh, literally, metaphorically, in someone like Leo's Costigan, who, you know, who literally kind of is destroyed at the end of the film. And then you have characters like Estella, who's Nicholson or Sullivan and Damon, who become like demons in in subtle ways for mm-hmm. Damon's character and more explicit ways in Costello's character. I think that's all very singular to the Martin Scorsese experience and it makes this movie unique. Uh, so in that way, the movies are different. But I do recommend people check out Infernal Affairs. Yeah. Was there a kind of boss figure like a Jack Nicholson? Yeah, and he kind of plays it a little bit comically in moments in terms of like being a little bit absurd but it's all a little bit more brutal it's all a little bit more grounded it's actually i think what scorsese's usually more interested in it's a lot more neo-realist i do think the departed it plays in exaggeration exaggeration and absurdity to a wolf of wall street level you know that is not something that you find in a lot of scorsese projects um and there's also a lot of other references that Scorsese is going for in The Departed, not just Infernal Affairs. You can, you can see the inspirations from Howard Hawks, John Ford, uh, The Third Man, Carol Reed's film, or Hitchcock or John Woo. There's so many uh, influences. I mean, Scorsese and DiCaprio recently were in an interview together on Letterboxd and talked about Ashes and Diamonds being a huge reference point for Leo's character specifically, always being so paranoid and going through this like American identity psychosis. So there's tons of other influences. I just think that this movie probably deserved to, you know, Infernal Affairs deserves to be seen if you're going to love The Departed. That's all yeah. I'm saying. If people love The Departed, like, check it out. Shout it out. Yeah. Exactly. Um, let's talk 2006 because, again, okay. we're going to get really into the messier parts of this film at first, and then we're going to get into more of the entertaining stuff and talk about some of our favorite scenes and some of the crazy Characters, performances yeah. and dialogue. <laughs> and 
Uh, this episode today might have to be explicit because there's just so many f bombs. I think this. I think the Departed has the most f words in any Scorsese movie. Oh, really? Yeah, and I mean that like in terms of slurs and just like fuck in general, like thrown throughout the entire movie, which is pretty wild to think about it because he. I think he's like he has multiple movies in the top ten of all time and the most curse words, which is interesting. Um, in terms of 2006, I was not really watching this movie. Surprisingly, I don't think I saw this until I was in college. I think that's when you first saw it too, right? Yes. Yeah. I well, I'll can I share my experience first? Yeah. Why don't you take us back to when did you see it? What year do you think you saw it? So we were in college. I don't know. It's like what 2016 the exact or something. Year was yeah. yeah, but I remember we had all like come home from a night out and we put this movie on. I had never seen it before and everyone was like, Oh my God, you have to watch the departed mm-hmm. and everyone fell asleep. It's like 3am and I'm watching the final scene with Leo <laughs> and then Matt Damon. Yeah. And I'm like looking around in shock, like my, like, you know, mouth wide open. Right. Yeah. To no one. Yes. So like <laughs> everyone is sleeping and Everyone's I was got deepy <laughs> dough on the table. Completely in shock. Yeah. So I had a, a very funny uh like experience just really experiencing the surprise of this movie uh alone. <laughs> I think I experienced it with those same roommates, but we were we were awake a different night. <laughs> okay. Um and yes, when Leo DiCaprio, who is one of the biggest American actors of all time, but definitely one of the biggest living American actors, when he gets shot and killed, it is so surprising. Every time you watch it, too. Yeah, it's it is jarring. You kind of kick back for a second. You're like, was that DiCaprio that was just killed? Yeah. And also a great job by DiCaprio. And we'll talk about it at the end of the movie, obviously. But when he is shot and killed, the way he falls, the way that people fall to their death in this film is really well done. It's good. Like it's good practical yeah. filmmaking. It's good performances. Um, good job guys. So <laughs> when I first saw this, I don't have a great memory of it, but I do remember in 2006 when it came out, cause it was on TNT a lot. So I never saw the original theatrical cut until I was older. But in 2006, I was not watching this movie because I was watching like how I've talked about on the podcast before, like seven, the usual suspects, alien Ridley Scott, David Fincher. Those were my guys at like 10 to 12 years old. And I was also invested in like more teenage stories like Kiki Palmer and Aquila and the Bee was a movie when I'm looking back at 2006 yeah. it was a film I watched all the time on cable. We own that one. I remember crying a lot multiple times at Will Smith's performance in the pursuit of happiness. Mm, yeah, that one really hit me in the theater. Uh, I was wondering how there were so many Hugh Jackmans in the prestige. So many Hugh Jackmans <laughs> at the end of that movie. And I remember just turning to my dad after seeing that for the first time and being like, were there like 30 Hugh Jackmans down there? How did he do that? Uh, so it was a good genre year. We had really great films. I mean, there were some cult classics I didn't see till I got older, like Ryan Johnson's Brick, which still might be his best film. We had the horror film, The Descent, which surprisingly held up on rewatch. And we watched it recently during the pandemic. Uh, there was the Will Ferrell dramedy. Have you seen this? Stranger Than Fiction? I'd never saw that. I remember that being a pretty smart movie when I was like 13 years old. Uh, the Queen came out this year. Who who knew that movie would basically inspire a generation to love The Crown? Yeah. Then we had Spike Lee's Inside Man. And I'll just say that I am in the hive of Inside Man. I know that's a divisive movie, but I think that's one of the more underrated crime thrillers yeah. of this century. Isn't Willem Dafoe a, a cop in that movie? Hell yeah, he is. Yeah. And I think Jodie Foster plays like a weird millionaire, oh, billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. who's like in a limo. In a limo, yeah has a bunch of ADR going on because she has an <laughs> accent, but doesn't have an accent. 
Uh, then we had movies like Todd Field's Little Children. We had Ryan Gosling and Half Nelson as a drug addict teacher. No comment. And then obviously, like I said, The Prestige, which I think is Nolan's best movie still. I don't know if you remember this, but in the same year, The Prestige came out, a film that with almost the same plot called The Illusionist came out with Edward Norton. Have you seen this? It's like a B version of The Prestige. Probably not. I don't think so. Yeah, it's actually pretty good, but kind of weird it came out. What I wanted to bring up in 2006 was Little Miss Sunshine for you because that's one of your oh, favorite films. Yeah. And that I came was out just this trying year. to think as you were reading these off. I was like, man, I really haven't seen a lot of these even today. Uh, but Little yeah. Miss Sunshine was a movie that kind of inspired my love of film <laughs> as a child. I love Paul Dano in that. <laughs> yeah. Paul Nietzsche stuff. That's all really good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not surprising you haven't seen a lot of films from this year. It's like you know, historically it's looked at as one of the worst recent Oscar years, which is why the departed probably wins best picture and best director. But there are some like low key good movies, like even genre films that made a lot of money. Like Casino Royale is one of the best James Bond movies ever made. V for Vendetta was kind of transgressive for the time. Pan's Labyrinth. We were introduced to Guillermo del Toro for the first time. Yeah. Or at least I was, I remember renting Pan's Labyrinth at Blockbuster thinking it was a Peter Pan film <laughs> and I put it in and I saw like the practical monsters and all the design and I was like why am I watching one of the most terrifying films I've ever seen in my entire life yeah I mean there's a lot of risk in the Blockbuster movie renting experience that we don't talk about you know like That's a lot a of great podcast episode just idea. marketing in itself I it was like magazine covers right for the yeah. movie covers oh yeah um and then I think Probably the best film of 2006 above The Departed for me is Alfonso Cuaron's Children of Men. And that I just watched that again recently many times because I taught it uh, in our geography class this year for our population unit. And I was just totally floored by that movie. It's a master class in pace and cinematography and maybe not conventionally edited or edited at all in some ways. It's a lot of long takes and one shots. It's incredibly special blocking set pieces, a real intimacy at its core. I can't believe that it wasn't nominated for best picture when watching it again. I feel like if Steven Spielberg made children of men, it probably would have won like 12 Oscars and swept. Um, It's just such an interesting blend of spectacle, human spirit and populism and xenophobia. It's just so much going on in a film that moves so quickly, but actually isn't that short. And I think my students seem to largely agree. It was very good. Um, so I don't know if you've seen that in a long time. I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I remember it like being great and interesting thematically. So that is fascinating that it wasn't even acknowledged. Yeah. I mean, it's got, it got a few nominations. I think it might've won for adapted screenplay from Quaron. I'd have to check. Um, but 2006, Okay, movie year. Terrible yeah. Oscars year, which again, which is, you know, basically why The Departed won. Uh, and again, it's kind of wild looking back at the Oscars and seeing Mark Wahlberg get nominated for Best Supporting Actor when he's basically just doing his bit from the other guys yeah. <laughs> in a Scorsese movie, which I'm into. And he is a ton of fun on screen because he kind of brings a chaotic energy to the film. Like every time he's on in an image, I go, oh, it's about to get wild, uh, which I appreciate about him. Uh, but okay, let's get into the movie. Let's talk basic plot, maybe some big ideas, and then the complicated politics of this first. Sure. Um, So obviously, The Departed is basically about a loss of group identity and how that loss of culture or or identity inevitably leads to chaos or conformity. And I think a very smart Scorsese commentary sounds 
kind of like that in a lot of his greatest films, like Goodfellas and Mean Streets and Casino and Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and I think this movie might actually be even underrated when it comes to those themes because it is a little bit different. I've seen people just call this, you know, the fun B Goodfellas. And I, I know you said that at the top. I actually think it does something a little bit different. It's just not fully developing those ideas. And, and we'll get into that. In terms of the plot, this film follows parallel double agents, Colin Sullivan, Matt Damon, who gets into the Massachusetts State Police. And then Billy Costigan, Leonardo DiCaprio, is a mole in the mob headed by Francis Costello, who's Jack Nicholson. And we follow those two men through their training as cops and into their roles as informants, one being a rat, one being a mole. And from there, the film kind of operates as this like intricate cat and mouse game between the two, Mm -hmm. each trying to uncover the other, uh, they're also living double lives, and those double lives begin to intersect in how they find similar found fathers. They find the same. Hey, 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 put the fucking gun down. Put the gun, put the gun down, all right? I came here to talk some Hands. sense into you. All right, just act professional. I can get you your money. What just did you act say? Pro- I can get you your money. You didn't come here to talk, all right? You came here to get arrested. You got fucking tapes of what? Costello was my informant. I was a rat. Fuck you. Prove it. He was working for me. He was my informant. Shut your fucking mouth. Come on. Get up. Well, what is this? A citizen's arrest? Blow me. All right. Hi. Hello there. Sorry for interrupting. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening so far, and hopefully you are enjoying yeah. <laughs> the episode so far. I feel like maybe if you made it this far. They got it this far. They're yeah. having a good time. I mean, let's hope. But to access our full conversation, you can go to the description of this episode to join our Patreon community, the Extra Credits Plus. Yes. And for only $5 a month, you can get access to our full catalog of Patreon-exclusive episodes. Hope to see you there. Fuck you! Fuck you! I'm fucking arresting you! That's the stupidest thing you could do! Shut the fuck up! I could give a fuck if the charges don't stick. I'm still fucking arresting you. Get up. 